Well, would you open <clears throat> open the scriptures to um, well let's turn to Luke chapter 5 first I want to read two parallel accounts of the call of Matthew when Christ comes to Matthew. So we'll start with Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. And after he had went out and noticed, and after that he went out and noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then if you would turn back to Matthew chapter 9. Now this is a little bit different account. And you notice that this is in the Gospel of Matthew. And here the man that is called that this uh, tax gatherer, the name of the tax gatherer, is Matthew. Now, most commentators think that the Matthew here is the one who wrote this gospel. And there's some good reasons to think that and some historical uh, evidence for this also. So, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at table in the house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Let's pray here once more before we look at these verses. Father, we ask for for you to teach us here. We just pray that there would be something for each one of our hearts some help for us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move upon our hearts and minds now. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Well, the place that this took place was around the Sea of Galilee. And 
Jesus was going along the seashore and teaching people. As he goes along, he sees this tax gatherer, Matthew. He was right there sitting in his tax booth. I don't know why, uh, why it was that there was a tax booth out in the middle. Maybe this was an uh, a area that a lot of people traveled, and that was the way he collected taxes. Nevertheless, <clears throat> here Jesus comes and sees him there at the uh, tax table. Now, this is the same account, just a, uh, a few different details here. Matthew and Levi are the same people. They don't know, you know, for sure why that was. You know, a number of times in the New Testament, you have people that have different, two different names. And one time they use one, and one time another. Sometimes it's the case that Jesus actually gives them a different name, like Peter. That may be. Uh, anyway, he was he, he, one of his designations was Levi. So that is an indication that he was probably from a tribe of distinction, a tribe of the Jewish people that was set apart for for worship and service of God. But Matthew was not serving that function. He was far from being a priest. He was what the King James Bible calls a publican. And uh, we would say a tax gatherer. And that's the way it's translated here in the New American Standard. They're called publicans because they collected public taxes for the Romans. That was a pretty good way of making money, but it was not a very good way to have a good reputation amongst the Jews. They were despised people, these, these publicans, the tax gatherers. First of all, they were considered to be disloyal. Uh, here you are working for the, the people that have taken over our country, the, the Romans. So the Jewish people really hated the Romans, and if you worked for the Romans, you weren't very well liked amongst your own people. Uh, that was the one reason, just uh, considered to be disloyal. But more than that, they were noted for the di dishonesty. The Romans just kind of, they had a certain amount that they were supposed to collect for the Romans, but the Romans just kind of didn't mind if you just went ahead and took a little extra for yourself, and that's what they did. So they were noted for their dishonesty, uh, for their greed, their injustice, their exploitation of the Jewish people. So they were, in fact, one of the most detested groups in the Jewish community. They were considered to be kind of a, a pest to society. I, I don't know what, what you would compare it with today, uh, maybe like a drug dealer or something. Someone that you just, this people, the society just despises these people. Well, that's what, these, that's what uh, a publican, a tax gatherer was considered. Uh, there was a Jewish saying at the time said, take not a wife out of that family where there is a publican, for they are all publicans, or thieves, or robbers, or wicked sinners. In other words, even if, even if, uh, if you're going to marry into a family, don't marry into a family that has one of these publicans in, because they're just, it's, the whole family is surely corrupt. These people are so bad. Well, that was the attitude. They were always, a, you, you see the Pharisees would always lump them together with tax gatherers and sinners, and harlots and sinners and tax gatherers. That's, that was the, the uh, dregs of society as far as the Jewish people and especially the Pharisees were concerned. Well, Jesus comes to this social outcast, and they were social outcasts. 
although they made quite a bit of money doing this. Um, in fact, we'll see here in a minute, this man was able to give a big feast, uh, uh, which would have cost quite a bit of money, but they were not well-liked. Jesus comes to this person and says, follow me. Now, maybe he said more than that, and maybe Matthew had already heard uh, Jesus. He'd been speaking around the region. Uh, we don't know all of that, but what's recorded for us here is the essence of, of what Jesus said to him, and that is, follow me. And uh, I think that's really the essence of true discipleship also. You could sum up what it means to be a disciple in two words, follow me. The follow part has to do with willing obedience to God's, to the Lord's leadership. And I think it also has to do with a, a joyful uh, fellowship when you're following Christ. So it, it's following him, but it's the emphasis is on the me, follow me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not following a, a certain creed, although it's important and no doctrine. It's not uh, following a certain, uh, going to a certain church, although that's important to meet with God's people. But the essence of discipleship is just that, follow Christ, follow me. So I think there are lessons from this account that we can learn And uh, I just want to mention a few here to to begin with. First of all, all the rules of the Christian life can be condensed into one. Follow me. If you do that, you'll do all right. Second, Jesus' call does not depend on our merit. It depends on his gracious choice. He just came and saw this despised one and said, follow me. That wasn't because of Matthew's merit. So the call to be a disciple does not depend on our merit, but on God's gracious choice. And we can also see that no one, I think we can uh, assume this and draw this from this passage, no one's too low or despised for Jesus to call to himself. We also see that Matthew didn't make the first step here. Jesus made the first step towards Matthew. Um, We don't make the first step toward God. He comes to us. Jesus came to call sinners to himself. He also came to die for sinners. We couldn't come to him apart from the fact that he makes a way for us through his death. Well, lastly, I would say that we see that there is such a thing as an effectual call. When Jesus called Matthew, he came. <laughs> now, there, there's the theologians talk about two kinds of call. A general call that goes out to everyone, uh, like it's, we're told there in the, in the book of Acts, that God is declaring that all men everywhere should repent. That's a general call. That's for everybody. Everybody should repent. But this is a effectual call. This is one when God speaks to your heart and says, follow me. And that's what happened here. It was effectual. Matthew got up and followed Christ. So, 
if you noticed, and this is a little bit hard to notice just from reading it one time like we did, when, when uh, we read it here in Matthew, it just says, um, he rose, Matthew says, he rose and followed. But Luke adds something. He says, he left everything behind and rose and followed him. Now, some of the commentators, and I, I think there might be some reality to this, they say because this is Matthew's account, he took the humble position. He didn't say, well, I, and I left everything and followed Christ. just said I, I, or he arose and followed. Luke adds the account, uh, the little um, addendum there, saying he left everything and rose and followed him. So Matthew takes a humble testimony. And I think there's, you know, when somebody's putting more emphasis on what they left behind when you hear a testimony than, than what they came to, there's something wrong. <laughs> and uh, Matthew didn't do that. He just, he arose. Another place you see this um, attitude is that in this, in Matthew's account, <clears throat> it says, and he rose and followed him, and it happened that as he was reclining at table in the house, he didn't even say what house. Now, if you go to Luke, I mean, yeah, to Luke's account, you find out that it was Matthew's house. He's the one that organized this, this feast. Um, so, this big feast, and it was a big feast. The, the word there means a, a lavish thing. Well, uh, he could do that because he had the money from this... this uh, occupation so the next question is why a feast why do you, why do you have this endeavor well I think there would be two reasons here at least probably more but one is he was he was happy here's his, here he'd been a despised person all his life now Jesus calls him and there's some joy about that you know uh, because God of what God had done for him. Now, there's just because God does something in your life doesn't mean that everybody will be happy about it. But you ought to be happy about it. Uh, obviously, the Pharisees weren't too happy. We can see that from what happened. But especially if we think of this call being effectual, or this is actually uh, God changing Matthew's heart, then we can see why there'd be some real joy. Uh, I mean, if, if there's joy in heaven for one sinner who repents, shouldn't there, there, should ought, to, there ought to be some joy on earth. And, and uh, Matthew had that, and he wanted to share it. It's kind of, well, you know, another, I think of the account of the prodigal son when he re returns. The father has a feast because of the joy, you know. Let, kill the fatted calf. My son who is dead is now alive. So joy. Um, would surely be one of the reasons this feast was called. Um, J.C. Ryle said this, Nothing can happen to a man which ought to be such an occasion of joy as his conversion. It is a more important event than being married or being made a nobleman or receiving a fortune. It is the birth of an immortal soul. It is the rescue of a sinner from hell. It is a passage from life to death. It is the beginning. Uh, it is a becoming a king and a priest forever. It is being provided for both in time and eternity. It is adoption into the noblest and richest of families 
the family of God. So certainly there should be joy at such an occasion. So he calls a feast for joy. But there's another reason, I think, for this feast, and that is he wanted some of his friends to hear about what had happened and what uh, was going on and what God had done for him and what God could do for them. Uh, he invited his friends, his old, uh, his, his companions, uh, so that they would have an opportunity to hear Jesus speak with them. Well, uh, maybe that's the only people you could get to come. You know, the rest of the Jewish people didn't like him very much, so the, uh, uh, he could get the other tax gatherers and sinners to come. The respectable society wouldn't be seen at his house. But the Pharisees did show up, not because they were happy about things, but because they were always looking for some occasion to have some accusation against Christ, to discredit him in some way. They basically came to Jesus' disciples and said, if your teacher is really a man of God, why is he associating with these people? These are sinners. These are tax gatherers. These are, uh, you know, people that... Uh, someone who's holy should not hang around. And really they were insinuating that if you're with them, you must be like them. You know, birds of a feather flock together. Well, if you're with these sinners, then that means you're a sinner. That was the idea. The Pharisees, of course, had the idea of separation. You've got to stay away from all that uh, type of person. Uh, so Jesus knew that that's what they were thinking and saying, and he answers that with three amazing statements. One is kind of a, a verbal picture that he gives, and then there's a principle that he lays down from the Old Testament, and then he makes a, just a, a clear proclamation of his purpose. So first of all, the picture. He says, the place for a physician is with the sick people. Uh, it is, though, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now that's just, you know, that's so clear and simple, but, the, you know, it's easy to forget that. And the Pharisees were not at all thinking along those lines. What kind of a doctor would never get near a sick person? Well... Wouldn't be a very good doctor. A worthless physician would be like that. Now, these people were sick. The Pharisees would have recognized that. Oh, yeah, they're sinners. They're terrible. Well, Jesus said, yeah, okay, I'll just own your own estimation. That's why I should be here. These are people in need of help, and I have the cure. He was not going among the sick people because he enjoyed sickness but because he desired to bring healing. Not the fact that you're with sinners, but why are you with sinners? That's the real question. That's what the Pharisees were missing. Why are you there? So, the physician needed to be with those who were sick. Then he goes on and gives a scriptural principle. And you see that. Uh, in verse 13, he says, Now, here's what you need to do. You need to go 
and learn what this means. I desire compassion or mercy. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. He said, he's talking to these Pharisees who thought they knew everything because they had some idea of what the scriptures said. We said, all right, here's a verse in the Bible. Go understand what this verse means and you'll understand why I'm here. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. That's uh, Hosea 6.6, but we won't look it up right now. But let me just say this. Mercy or compassion has to do with a, a, a pity and a sympathy for those who are suffering. A loving attitude towards those in need. I wanted to just read a, a sentence here from McLaren. He said, Kindly helpfulness to men is better worship than an exact performance of any ritual. Kindly helpfulness to men is a better worship than any exact performance of ritual. And that's what the Pharisees were noted for, their exact performance of ritual. And what they weren't noted for was kindly helpfulness to other people. And so Jesus quotes this this. Um, Old Testament scripture to them. He says, if you really want to understand what's going on here and why I'm here, why I'm doing these things, go learn what that verse means. Sacrifice, I think, in, in this context has to do with outward service toward God. Now, there's a lot in the scriptures about sacrifice. But what he's dealing with here, I think, is a, an outward act of service which is devoid of any love for God or man. It, it can look very impressive on the, on the surface. There's separation. You see, there's a big sacrifice, and this thing would be, I'm separate from all this. I keep myself away from that. Well, that attitude was devoid of real love for God and man. So we could say this sacrifice is only pleasing to God when love is the motive. Sacrifice is only pleasing to God when love is the motive. And a good cross reference on that is if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Here, a sacrifice giving all your possessions to feed the poor, giving your body to be burned doesn't mean anything without love. So Jesus says you've got to go learn what this means. And I think we need to daily learn more and more what this means in each of our lives. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. There is a kind of formal obedience to rules and regulations that makes religion seem mechanical and hard and cold. And there's a kind of loving obedience to Christ that makes religion personal and tender and warm. And the Pharisees had the, the former. They had a, a formal obedience to rules, especially this rule of separation that they were so strict on. And yet it was actually sinful. Looked impressive on the surface, but it was actually sinful because their separation despised and neglected the sinner. They had no desire to see the sinner saved or even helped. 
There is a separation that looks holy but isn't, and there is a an association that may look unholy, which is actually pure. And that's what Christ was doing here. It didn't look too good to be in with the most despised people in the whole society, uh, and yet it was it was pure, it was right, it was good, it was pleasing to God. Their holiness. That is, the Pharisees looked good on the surface, but actually their hearts were filled with an unholy attitude. Now, this little phrase, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, meant a lot to Matthew. I know that because he put it in his gospel twice. If you want to look at uh, sometime, the other cross-reference is 12.7, Matthew 12.7. And it's the only two places it is in the New Testament is where Matthew quoted it. So he really got a hold of this. Uh, I think it meant a lot to him because this is what Christ did for him. He showed him mercy. He showed him compassion. Didn't uh, stay away from him just because of some idea of uh, separation. Matthew was glad that Jesus followed this principle uh, towards him as a tax gatherer. So the picture... The whole have no need of a physician. The principle, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then lastly, a proclamation, a simple proclamation of his purpose, which is in the last part of the verse there. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. A proclamation of his basic purpose. He came to call sinners. That's why Jesus came. Now, the the cross-reference says, uh, call them to repentance. The call of Christ is always a call to repentance. And um, I, the fact that, that Matthew got up and began to follow Christ, even if, it's not, if the word repentance isn't used here, it's still implied. He repented. He was, you can't follow Christ and not repent, is, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, it's impossible to do that. Because to follow him, you have to turn away from sin. I mean, they're two different directions. So, this is what Christ came for, to call sinners to himself. Um, People who recognize their sin-sick condition recognize they need a physician. People who recognize their sin-sick condition recognize they need mercy. People who recognize their sin-sick condition recognize they need a Savior and they will hear and heed this call. And and it's only those, you see, it's only those who see their need that will, will heed the call. It's those who will recognize and confess their bankrupt, hopeless condition that receive help. He came... Not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I think this is a, you know, the cross-reference, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're the ones that will heed the call. The poor in spirit, those who recognize that they are sinners. He came to call sinners to himself. Now, that sinful person will feel unworthy. Sure, they feel unworthy. They know they're sinners. But 
That's the point. He came to call sinners to himself. And they realize they deserve judgment. But, but the point is, he came to call people who realize they deserve judgment. And even as a Christian, you know, there's times when we recognize that we're weak and, and the flesh is deceitful and we fail. Well, it's good to remember he came to call sinners. And there's times when you feel that when you do good, evil is present with you. Well, yeah. But remember, he came to call sinners. He came to call sinners. Don't let sin prevent you from resting in Christ because he came to call sinners. Just get up and follow him. John Calvin said it. uh, He said, with this basic truth that Christ came to call sinners, he said, weak consciences are molded into a position of firm assurance. For there is no fear that Christ will reject sinners since it was to call them that he came from heaven. You know, the devil will say, okay, sin, that's going to keep you from God. Well, Jesus says, I came to call sinners. In other words, if you really recognize your sin, you're on, the, you're on the right track. Just get up and follow Christ. Well, that's what Matthew did. He followed Christ. Jesus took a despised sinner and made him a dedicated disciple. In fact, he made him an apostle. So here you have the tax gatherer becoming the apostle. Um, and then he used him to bless others. <clears throat> he was once known for taking from others. I mean, that's all. that was his reputation. Get away, stay away from that guy because all he'll do is exploit you. Now he's known for giving to others. Uh, how did he give? Well, he wrote the first book in the New Testament. Isn't that incredible? Here's a tax gatherer, the despised of the Jewish people, writing a gospel. It's just amazing. I'm sure when Matthew got up from that tax booth and started following Christ, he had no idea what lay ahead. Now, God may have prepared him. You know, tax gatherer has to be meticulous about details and keeping track of figures and stuff. Well, here, God used a man like that to write an account of, of Christ's life. Well, we don't know what God has for us when he calls us. But we do know this. We know that he said concerning his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should bear fruit. What a, the fruit here for, for Matthew happened to be writing a gospel. I mean, fruit, talk about fruit. How many people have been converted from reading this first gospel? Uh, who knows? Well, we're <clears throat> we won't be used to write a gospel, but, you know, uh, the Bible says that we become epistles of Christ, known and read by all around us, all that see our lives. 
So our desire should be that our life would present a true portrait of the one who came to us in our sinful condition and said to us, follow me. That is... uh, Whatever, what, that'll be different for each one of us, what that following means. But nevertheless, God will use it to bring forth fruit. Well, just some thoughts here from this call of Matthew. Uh, one thing, one last thing I wanted to bring out. <clears throat> this is in the parallel account in Mark. So let's turn to that. <clears throat> This would be Mark chapter 2. And uh, verse 13. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came about that he was that he was reclining at table in his house. And now here's the part I want you to get. This isn't brought out in the others. And many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. Isn't that something? Many tax gatherers. It wasn't just, it wasn't just Matthew. Many of these lowest of the low uh, of that society were followers of Christ. Many were following him. Maybe that had partly to do with the uh, testimony of of, uh, Matthew to them. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account, and we thank you that uh, there is this effectual call when you come to a person and say, follow me, and they follow. And Father, we just uh, pray that you would help us to be epistles of Christ. When people look at our lives, they'd see something of what it means to follow Christ. And we pray that you would teach us more and more of what it means there in the scriptures when you say, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Help us, Lord, to understand this and apply it in our lives. We thank you that you came to call sinners. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.